You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Yeah, you want to clap? We clap. I heard some clapping there. Let's clap for the Lord, for the Lord, it's for the Lord. No one greater to cheer for than God. We cheer for so many things in this world, eh, who really aren't worthy of it. We can cheer for the Lord. I woke up this morning, and maybe you were like me, just kind of looked outside, and I saw all the vast colors of the different leaves on the trees, and some are just blooming right now. They're just absolutely beautiful. I saw the, the grass that is growing and getting greener, which is so great. And I saw these, these hyper squirrels, man. They were going crazy. Like, I don't know what got into them. Must be young squirrels or something. But they're bounced, like literally bounce all over the place. And even that to me, I said, look at, look at, there's the Lord, man. The energy, the enthusiasm, the zeal for life. I mean, all the different birds. They went noticing a ton of birds everywhere. Maybe it's just our neighborhood, but just birds and birds, but like all different colors and, and singing and waking me up at like 4.30 in the morning and all these things. But listen, it's all God. It's, it's all the Lord. Everything is shouting the glory of God. Everything is declaring his glory through creation. And that's a snippet, a fraction of all that we get to see of our God. No wonder then we sing, holy, holy. There's no one else who can do this. There's no one else who can remotely take credit for all the things that we see in this world. There's one God. He is awesome. He is holy. And that's why we love him. That's why we gather. That's why we read his words. That's why we pray. That's why we love him. Am I preaching to the choir today? I hope I am. I hope I am. I hope you're right with me there. And speaking of praying and loving God, one thing I want to make you aware of is out of our gospel series, and we had a great prayer meeting this past week, uh, past Wednesday, five to 600 people gathered here to pray. It's just, it's just so, that's the furnace of our church. If you haven't been to a prayer meeting yet, I just encourage you, if, you're, if your reason for not attending is fear, please step out in faith. Please. I just believe half of life is showing up, isn't it? Half of life is showing up to the things that matter. And so we're having this prayer momentum continue through our church. For the next four Wednesday mornings, we're going to have prayer in our family room from 7 to 8 on the gospel. Next four Wednesday mornings from 7 to 8 in our family room, praying for the advancing of the gospel. Here are the topics. This Wednesday, persecuted church. Then praying for our missionaries and mission partners within our church. Then we're praying for our future as a church. Lord, lead us in our direction where we believe you are taking us. And then the urgency in the gospel within our body and throughout this community and world as well. So again, whether there's five people that show up or 50, 500, I don't care. It's going to be amazing. Okay, So Wednesday mornings, 7 a.m., many of you have a growing heart for prayer, a culture of prayer in our church. Family room, 7 a.m., praying for the gospel to advance in these ways. Encourage you to be there. You can come to one. You can come to all, all right? And you will be more than welcomed to gather and pray to our God for what only he can do. All right, who's got a Bible here today in this long weekend? Nice to see all of you here today, too, on the long weekend. That's so great. Um, Open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah will be a little bit of a tougher one to find because the minor prophets are not usually the books that we turn to first, but it's right after Obadiah and right before Micah. And if that is more confusing to you, then you can look at the table of contents and you can figure out where the book of Jonah is. Today, we start a five-week series in Jonah, which I'm excited about. And the title for the series is Jonah. How's that? How's that? Jonah, but I love the subtitle. It's this, it's this. God's relentless pursuit, listen, of you, of me, of us. If you know me as pastor at all, you will know I love to explain to you the doctrine of the Lord loves us too much to leave us by ourselves. 
I love telling you that the Lord is coming after you and he wants to gather you. Why does he come after you? It's because he loves you, not to judge you, but to hold you and love you and bring you to a place of joy and blessing. After all, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the perfect shepherd, so he takes care of his sheep, so he comes after the one to gather them, to love them. So I love teaching you this aspect of the character of our God. Well, now we have a whole series on this subject. Uh, One word to describe that, for me anyways, it's Yahoo, all right? Now, the Lord's coming after us. Why is he coming after us? Because he wants to love us, and he wants to love us, listen, that he might use us. But he pursues us. The the Lord is the one who pursues. And the theme of Jonah is the Lord pursuing Jonah, but also the Lord pursuing the lost. Two grand themes we find through the book of Jonah. The one is the sovereignty of God. I love the sovereignty of God. It is glorious. It brings us security. We we have the confidence in we're not in charge. Thank goodness. He's in charge. And throughout Jonah, the sovereignty of God over the nations, the sovereignty of God over creation, getting a fish to go and swallow Jonah, the sovereignty of God over Jonah's life himself. The sovereignty of God is everywhere throughout this book, but also under the sovereignty of God, because people say, well, God is sovereign, then what are we? Are we robots? Under the sovereignty of God, it's just so beautiful, is also God's heart for, ready, evangelism. It's another massive theme. Jonah is like a mini course in evangelism. And so God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, we see his heart for the nations. We see his heart to use Jonah to go preach the gospel to the nation of Assyria and the city specifically of Nineveh. So God is sovereign, yet his evangelistic desire to see more and more of the lost found in him. God has such a heart for his own glory. God has a heart for his glory through evangelism. So God is calling. God is pursuing. God is sending. And right off the bat, we see today in this book of Jonah, the theme of Jonah, really running from God, which is our sermon title for today. Some of you are here today and you are, you are running from God. And if you are running from God, I feel sorry for you. Do you know why? Because you don't stand a chance. And you say, what do you mean, Robbie? Well, if you're running from God, listen, God's going to catch you. And why? Because he's faster than you. And so he's going to catch you. Why does he catch you? Because he wants to love you. He wants to love you. And he loves you too much to let you go. So if you're running from God today, again, listen, you don't stand a chance, all right? Hey, you can run, but you can't hide. You can't hide from the Lord, and Jonah's going to find that out firsthand, and that's a big theme I want to speak to you today. If you're here today, and you are running from God, listen, this is the wrong place to be if you're trying to run from God, all right? And you might want to run out of here, but halfway through this message, but listen, but listen, why does he do that? Why does he reach out to you? Because he loves you too much to let you go. And what a beautiful, beautiful understanding of the book of Jonah and all that we get to see right now. Let me just ask the Lord to help us in this time. Father, do help us. Please, please help us. Speak to us, Lord. Encourage us. I can just sense among your people even now there's an expectancy and a belief that you will speak to them. May your word be so powerful. May your love be so strong. Lord, I just think all of us in some form or another have been running from God. At one point, Lord, you chased us down and saved us. You redeemed us by the love of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. That alone is awesome. And right now, Lord, you are chasing down maybe a specific few and all of us in some way too. 
calling us, asking us to believe your path is the great path of joy and blessing. Thank you for your patience with us. Isn't that so true, huh, church? That we, in our rebellious state, in our, in our, in our prone-to-wander nature, in our, in, our, in, our, in our sinfulness, God does not give up on us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. You don't reject us because of our sin, but you invite us to grace and love and forgiveness, all because of Jesus. That, that is amazing. And all of us deserve death, but you, you offer us life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just even as I say these words, my love for you even grows more. So undeserving, yet you're so gracious. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, church? All right, Jonah 1, verse 1. I want to read the whole chapter, first chapter, but we're going to look at just a few verses for our message today. But I want to read the whole chapter. Why? Because it's, it's just great. It's just good stuff. So Jonah 1, 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. So as I always say, live in the text, live in the text, live in the text. Such a great chapter. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord, notice but Jonah verse 3, now notice but the Lord in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to, to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? That's great. Arise, call it to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Amazing. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, Jonah did, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. He probably regrets saying this, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Why? Because he told them. That's amazing. Hey, what's up? What's your name? Jonah, what are you doing? Fleeing from God? That's just great. That's just great. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Unreal. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Notice this, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great sovereignty, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord, loved ones, thanks be to God. Now, as we enter into the book of Jonah, I want to give a little bit of an introduction so we get some foundation that we're moving forward together with understanding and a little bit of teaching time that will be helpful for us as we proceed. First of all, the book of Jonah is called again a minor prophet. 
It is one of the minor prophets, not because it's any less important, simply because it's shorter in length. Let me give a little graph up here on the screen of how the books are divided in the Old Testament and New Testament. Three main sections in the Old Testament, law, prophets, and writings. And within the prophets we see here, there are major prophets and then there are minor prophets. And so these ones are relatively shorter and often significantly shorter than the major prophets, which are much longer. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So Jonah is one of the minor prophets. When the, it's in larger section of prophets in the Old Testament. Of course, the law, the history, the books of poetry and wisdom, but we're entering into these right now. Again, Jonah being a minor prophet. That's why when you, like Obadiah, it's like one page or two pages. Flip over, there's Jonah, and there it is. And that's also two and a half pages as well. Just giving us some understanding. As we also come to Jonah in this series, let's be crystal clear about this. The book of Jonah is not about a whale. All right? The book of Jonah is not about a great fish. The whale gets all the press. That's not what it's about. The, the whale, it's not even called a whale in the text, it's called a great fish. The great fish is mentioned four times. The book of Jonah is not about the great fish. The book of Jonah is not about the great city, Nineveh, either. Nineveh is mentioned nine times. The book of Jonah is ultimately not about Jonah. He's mentioned 18 times. The book of Jonah, loved ones, is about the great God. It's about the awesome, sovereign nature and the heart of God for his people, the one who is ruler over all things. God is mentioned 38 times in the book of Jonah. Let's be very clear again. This is all about God. So if we go back to our series image. Originally, this, this, this tale was a lot bigger. So no, 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 we can't do that. Because this, this book is ultimately not about a whale. This book is about God. So we had to get it smaller, but it looks kind of nice within the O. All right? So there it is. All right? The book of Jonah is about God. Now again, as we come to Jonah, a lot of people want to categorize Jonah as a parable. They don't believe the events in the, in the book, so they approach it with cynicism, and here are some of the reasons that people give. Well, it has to be a parable because I can't believe in the miraculous storm. Uh, I can't believe about the episode of the great fish. Uh, I can't believe uh, how quickly Nineveh repents. I can't believe how the vine grows up within seemingly moments within chapter 4. And because of these things, it can't be historical. It must be a parable. But the evidence that Jonah is not like a parable is the following. Uh, it's simply too long and too detailed to be a parable. The characters within it are too lifelike. It involves uh, real people and real cities with real names. Uh, parables don't do that. Uh, the book of Jonah is also set in a specific time of history, as we will find out too. But by far, the most compelling reason that we know that Jonah is not a parable, but a historical, actual facts of what took place is Jesus himself, and four times in the Gospels, referred back to Jonah as historical fact. Isn't it interesting that two most disputed stories in the Bible are Noah and the ark, Jonah and the fish, the great fish of the whale, and the two events that Jesus made sure he looked back on as factual history, Noah and Jonah. Gives us confidence. As we approach this right now, Jesus seemed to believe all these things happened, and he treated them as historical fact. 
And you know what happens within this too? All the disbelieving and the validity of the events of Jonah, the scoffing that goes on. What I really believe is this. We need to understand clearly everything begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you understand that God has raised his son from the dead, when you know that the greatest miracle, that Jesus died, but on the third day was rose again, when you understand Jesus was raised from the dead, everything else seemingly becomes a no-brainer that God can do all things. Here's what's even better about that. When you know that by Jesus' resurrection, you have been raised from the dead, you know you have gone from death to life, and the faith that floods your soul and floods your heart I don't think it takes a lot for you to say, man, if I can be raised from the dead, I think God can get a fish to go swallow Joe and spit him on a beach a couple days later, all right? When we argue, I'm all for apologetics, but the problem with apologetics, or the difficulty is, it's hard to argue someone into the faith. Ultimately, faith at some point must take place. The faith to understand Jesus died for my sins. I am saved in him. He has raised me from the dead. And the faith that floods me now, I look upon this book as God wrote it and I believe that God can do all things. All that to say everything begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I love it. When you're sharing the gospel, share the gospel. It's the gospel which is the power of God for salvation. When someone comes to faith in Christ, everything falls in place from there. So, not against apologetics. I'm just saying, I mean, in fact, I'm really supportive of that in, in many different spheres. But the gospel is what ultimately saves us in Jesus Christ. So, a little bit of introduction, a little bit of foundation for us. Let's now dive into this amazing little book. And we're going to be looking at the first three verses today of Jonah 1. And here's the first point I want you to notice. It's this. God's word comes, um, I must listen. When God's word comes, um, I must listen. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. So let's stop there. The word of the Lord comes to the prophet of the Lord, whose name is Jonah. And the reason we know that Jonah was a servant of God and a prophet of God is because it says that in 2 Kings 14, Verse 25, just so you can see this verse for yourself, here it is on the screen, okay, this is the context of who Jonah was outside of the book of Jonah. Uh, he restored the border of Israel from Label Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke, here's what we know about Jonah, he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, there's no question, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Jonah here, the servant of God and the prophet of God uh, as well. So Jonah, servant, prophet, called what? Called then to advance the kingdom of God. Jonah was set apart for God's service. And based on the context of 2 Kings 14, we know then that Jonah's immediate predecessors, this is cool, were Elijah and Elisha. He must have been well known about these men, if not in some way have learned from them either directly or indirectly. So as we take hold of the context of Jonah, let's understand this. He was appointed, appointed with great purpose, set apart as God's servant. He had the immense privilege of being God's prophet. He had the example of incredible men that went before him in the face of serious opposition. Jonah was God's mouthpiece. God's voice 
He was the deliverer of God's word. So the question became this then. When God's word came to the servant Jonah, the prophet of God Jonah, the question is, would he listen? And you would say, well, of course he would listen, right? Of course he would listen. Right? Well, what we find out, that depends on what God asked him to do. This takes us to point number two. It's this. God's word is clear. So God's word comes, but now God's word is clear. I must go. So look at verse two. God said, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, I think it's a fair guess to assume that Jonah was expecting from God at some point, arise. He's like, I'm good with that, arise, no problem, arise. And then he was expecting, I think it's fair to guess too, at some point he's like, hear God say arise, and then God said go. And he's like, okay, I like arise, I like go, that's, that's all, that I've been set apart to, to, to rise up and to go with God's message. But the part that Jonah would have shuddered at, the part that he obviously was not good with, was when God mentioned the word Nineveh. And at that moment, Jonah was not good with what God was asking him to do. Now, why is Nineveh such a big deal to Jonah? Well, first of all, it was the capital city of the enemy nation of Israel within Assyria. Nineveh was a very large and great city. It was full of cruel and harsh people. It was a dominating empire full of splendor and glamour. It was a city, again, of great wickedness and evil, it says in verse 2. Nineveh was located on the edge of what is now Mosul, Iraq, 40 miles east of Syria. Just to get some context, I like Bible maps. Many of you do too. Here's a Bible map from the ESV study Bible of what we're looking at. Here's a Bible map of the ESV study Bible. Here's a map I'm hoping to find. Here we go. All right. So, so here is, here is Nineveh right here located within Assyria. Okay, And of course, Israel down here. And this is where uh, Jonah is going to be hanging out. It gives us a bit of a context. Okay, And of course, the Mediterranean Sea. And so Jonah is in Israel. And he's being called to go to Nineveh. Okay, And Jonah kind of lived northern part of Israel as we read from 2 Kings 14, which would be very close at times to the nation of Syria. He might be even more aware of the things he despised about this nation, maybe even than some other Israelites. But Nineveh was the place that Jonah was called to go to preach to. Again, the city of his enemy. And what we find out with Jonah here, and before we judge him too harshly, the the key is to always, and we're going to look at our own hearts here in a second, but before Jonah wanted Nineveh to repent, he would rather see them destroyed. He would, because of whatever situation he was in, because of his lack of grace of his own life too. But he didn't want them to ultimately be saved. He wanted them to be destroyed. This is where the personal patriotism of Jonah got in the way, got in the way of his theology. Jonah either forgot or ignored this fact. That God's will, listen loved ones, God's will is always an expression of God's love. Every time. God's will is always an expression of God's love. But in this case, Jonah didn't want God's love to go forth. He didn't. He wanted to hoard it within himself and his own people. So God's word comes. God's word for Jonah is crystal clear. So now what will God's servant do? Obey, right? Wrong. Number three, point three. God's servant flees. I must learn. Not learn to flee. In this case, I must learn what not to do. Look at verse three now. So the word of God comes. The word of God is clear. It says, but Jonah... Oops. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish. It's like the Bible really wants us to know he's going to Tarshish, huh? Three times right there. It was away. The Bible also wants us to know twice. Away from the presence of the Lord. Notice the very first word in verse 3. It's the word but. Now, that's never a good word following a command from God. All right? It's a very bad. God commands this, and the next word is but, and someone else does that, you know? Ever kind of tell your kids to do something and say, did I need to do this? And the first word is but. <laughs> but I don't want to. No, that's never, that's never a good sign. And here is Jonah, and God says, arise and go to Nineveh. And he's like, but it says, but the Lord, or but Jonah. But Jonah rose to flee. Now, we don't know for sure where Tarshish was, but we have a good, we have a good idea. But, but notice this. The Lord commanded Jonah to arise and go northeast. But Jonah rose and fled southwest. All right? So God says, I need you to go northeast, and Jonah, essentially, he goes and flees southwest again. So where is Tarshish? Well, we suspect, and, and all the scholars uh, agree on this, it was now modern-day Spain, okay? Modern-day Spain. Now, now, think for a second, if you have any sense of Bible geography, any kind of sense of geography at all, all right, and you know Jonah's world and the world that he lived in, okay, is there a place, God says go to Nineveh, is there a place in Jonah's known world that could be farther from the destination that God has asked him to go other than modern-day Spain, Tarshish, through the Straits of Gibraltar? Is there, is there any place? Because if he goes any further, he's with us in Canada. You know what I'm saying? All right? But this is, this is where he is headed. Look at the map again. I want to show you the first map again, okay? So Jonah, Nineveh, Tarshish, heading out this way, okay? That gives us some context. You're going in the wrong direction, Jonah. But here's another map which will make it even more clear, okay? So notice this, okay? And this is, this is just fact. This is where we assume Tarshish was, okay? And so there is Jonah down to Joppa. You're supposed to go there, Jonah, but, but look, at where, look at where he's trying to go. What's up with that? How long would that take? In the 700 BC. How much would that cost? What's up with me? It tells you so much about where Jonah's heart is or isn't. But here's the real kicker in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Tarshish wasn't the real destination. What was the real destination? To flee from the presence of the Lord. Right now we say, but why? Why the all-out effort to run from the will of God? Was it because Jonah was afraid of the Ninevites? Was it because he was worried about being killed or imprisoned? They were harsh and brutal people. Maybe Jonah thought the mission was too hard. God, it's too impossible. It'll never work. It's just not going to happen. Were those the reasons that Jonah gave for not going? Well, here's the thing. Nowhere in the book of Jonah do we see any evidence that Jonah was afraid, worried of being killed, or thought the mission was too hard. What we do have in the book of Jonah is the real reason why Jonah would not go to Nineveh. Turn to chapter 4, turn one page over, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Here's the reason Jonah would not go. So when, when God gave repent, granted penance to the Ninevites at the end of chapter 3, notice what it says in verse 4, 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry at what? At the love of God. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. 
For I knew, here's why, here's why. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That is the reason Jonah fled. The one thing I appreciate about Jonah here is that at least he didn't lie. He got it all out in the open. He was so mad. Listen, he was so mad at what? At God's love. Jonah wasn't afraid that he would get killed. Jonah was afraid that the Ninevites would get saved. He didn't want them to get saved. He wanted them dead. And again, maybe he was so aware of the sin within that nation. Maybe he was personally aware of the hurt and the pain that they caused. But see what's happening here. This is a, this is a whole message in itself. But notice how Jonah resented the grace of God to others. Do you ever do that? Do I ever do that? He resented God's grace going from him elsewhere. Do we ever do that? Notice how self-righteous Jonah was. I want God's grace. I don't want you to have God's grace. That's pretty wicked. Notice here too. Notice Jonah was really acting like a New Testament Pharisee. Notice this also. Jonah forgot the reality of his own soul. Who is Jonah to claim the grace of God for himself when he was just as wicked as anyone else but to withhold it from other people? It's a sign that Jonah did not understand the grace of God at all. It's a sign he did not understand God's love. It's a sign he had a ton of self within him but not a lot of love from within him. You know what I find it fascinating as we preach this in this year and this time in our world? I find it fascinating. The exact location of Nineveh is currently the exact region of ISIS. Let me ask you this question. Like Nineveh, just outside Mosul, just where ISIS is concentrated right now, how are you praying for ISIS? Are you praying God kill them? Are you praying God save them? It's just a very interesting question for us. Just, we happen to be here in this text right now, and this is where the examination of Jonah's heart becomes the examination of our own. And what I want to do right now, I just want to stop here just long enough to see, do I understand grace? Or do I have symptoms of Jonah within my heart? Here are three indicators I don't get grace. Three indicators that I don't get grace in my life. Number one is this. The first indication I don't get grace is when my concern in worship is driven by consumer preferences rather than God's glory. Okay? So Jonah, he was consumed with his own self-preference in his worship. He didn't want that to go from him elsewhere. That's self-indulgence. Really, loved ones, that's self-worship. If my concern is for what I want in the center of worshiping God. I'm not worshiping God. I'm worshiping me. This just think. If, if, I'm, if I'm more concerned of my preferences, that means I don't get grace. I want what I want. I don't want what you want or what's best for you in the love of God. Therefore, there's no grace in my life. That's a self-focused form of legalism and self-righteousness. Here's a second indicator. I don't get grace. I see the wicked of this world as a threat to my lifestyle instead of seeing the people out there without Christ as hell-bound sinners who are perishing without the gospel. Do you see that? So 
I don't get grace when the evil in our day is coming and it's, and it's endangering the welfare of my family more than I'm concerned about praying for the salvation of their souls. I'm more concerned you're making my life harder. You're making the school that my kids to go to more threatened. You're making my neighborhood more whatever than I am about the reality they will pass on from this life into eternity apart from God without the gospel. So if I lack grace, I make it about me. I don't make it about other people, especially in terms of the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The evil in our day, really, I'm concerned about protecting myself as opposed to really having a burden for the lost to be saved. That's when Christian, the Christian bubbles form and it's us against the world and then we just attack and we're just so threatened by that. That's not grace. Here's the third one. Here's an indication I don't get grace. When I pray for the forgiveness of my sins, but I pray for the justice of God against everyone else. So God, forgive me, but get them. That's an indication we severely lack grace. God, forgive my sins, but attack them. They're the ones who deserve your punishment and wrath. Flash down lightning from heaven, God, just like James and John walking through Samaria. Forgive my sins, but judge them. What is that? That's a complete lack of understanding of the grace that has saved you in the first place. It wasn't that long ago. You were those people. You were actually asking God to throw lightning down upon. We were those people. And this was Jonah. He didn't get grace. So the word of God comes. The will of God is so clear. Jonah begins to flee from the presence of God. And let's be sure of this. When you and I flee from God's presence, that will never, ever go well. It just won't. Let's learn here. Let's unpack Jonah's attempt to flee God. We're going to see four things on the screen here. When Jonah ran, notice there's the first this two, first here. Jonah ran from conviction. Notice this. He ran from conviction. So twice in verse three, it says, Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. That's very significant. Now let's be sure. Jonah was not running from God's actual presence. Jonah was running from his perceived felt presence of God. Jonah was a prophet of God. Surely he would have known that God is omnipresent. You can't run from the presence of God. He would be fully aware of what David said in Psalm 139, where David says, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence, O God? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are also there. Jonah would know you can't actually run from the presence of God. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to appease his own conscience by removing himself from obvious God-given conviction. Jonah is thinking in his improper, grace-lacking state of mind, if I get myself out from Israel where God's voice is heard the loudest, I will remove myself from the conviction that is plaguing my soul as I seek to be disobedient as to what God wants me to do. It's the same reason why people under great conviction in our day when they're under conviction of God's will in their lives, it's the same reason they slowly start to distance themselves from God's voice. How? They stop attending church. I've seen this so many times. They're living a lifestyle which they know God does not condone. They know flat out it's against his will. And so instead of dealing with the truth and the conviction of that, it's way easier to run. So they slowly disengage from small groups. 
They slowly disengage from prayer meetings. They slowly disengage from church attention. They slowly disengage from people who love the Lord, who will love them with grace and truth. And they slowly find themselves in circles of people, listen, who will agree with them, support their sin, and ultimately reject their God. Why? Because they're running from conviction. And they don't want the conviction, so they put themselves in places as far away from God as possible, in places like Tarshish, where they have this idea that they can get out from under God's conviction and then have more peace in their lives as they pursue their sin and apart from God. When people run from God, they run from conviction. Conviction of God's word, conviction of God's church and leadership, conviction of God's people, Ultimately. Now, you might be here today and you are running from God. I think what you're starting to find out is, listen, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you cannot hide. Why, why, why? Here's why. Because God loves you too much. You will run, but God will track you down. That's my story. Is that your story? My story was I was sitting in all places in a university campus bar where God met me in that place in the midst of blaring music and he spoke into my heart and mind. And he was like, Robbie, what are you doing here? Two days later, less, less than 48 hours later, dramatically saved in Jesus Christ, never the same again, called to the gospel, life totally. He met me in a bar, he tracked me down in a bar and filled me with a dissatisfaction of the world and at that moment called me to himself, running from God. God says, you can run, but you can't hide. It's my story. Is that your story? Think about it. It's awesome. God tracks you down. You try to run from the conviction, but at the end of the day, God will track you down. You know, it's so neat. Just even uh, last weekend at a wedding, a couple in our church got married, and we're at this reception hall, and a lot of people from our church were there. And someone who worked at this reception hall, uh, she was there, and wouldn't you know it, that she had uh, just kind of talking to some of our people and found out that we're a bunch of people from Harvest, and her face almost contorted. And at one point she'd attended here, but she had, she had moved away. She had run away in, in, in following her sin. And there she was and just working. And all of a sudden she's confronted with a whole bunch of people who go to this church. And the Lord used it instantly. Long story short, she was in the place where she recognized all that she was doing. She saw this as the hand of God. And she's working there, tears in her eyes saying, I have to come back to God. That's awesome. What is that? That's, you can run, but you cannot hide. And if he's got your number, again, it's over. So today, you can decide you want to keep running, fulfilling your desires and your sin, but at some point in some way, you will be broken down in the misery of your soul, and you will turn your knee and your voice to praise God and say, he alone is my satisfaction. But Jonah, he ran from conviction. We'll see how far he got. Notice this too, he also ran from his calling. He ran from his calling. Now Jonah had a crystal clear calling. It was arise, go to Nineveh, and preach to them of my love and preach against their evil. Now some of us will say, well, he ran from his calling, but he knew exactly what God's calling was. If I knew exactly what my calling was from God, then I wouldn't run from that. Let me, let me, let me challenge you on that in a few small examples. Do you know your calling from God? Husbands, 100% you know that God's will is for you to love your wife. 100%. 100% God's will for you to love your wife. Are you running from your calling? Are you embracing your calling? Wives, 100% God's calling upon your life is to respect your husband. 100% God's will. Are you embracing that calling? 
by the grace of God? Parents, 100% God's will is for you to be there for your children. Not to busy yourself so much that you're never there for them. 100% God's will to love them, care for them, lead them. Nurture them in the faith of Jesus Christ. That's God's calling for your life. Are we doing it? Young people, all people, 100% God's will for your life is to stay pure before marriage, to stay pure before Christ. 100% God's will, calling, calling upon your life. Are you doing it? All of us, 100% God's will that we don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. 100% God's will, crystal clear, for sure. How's it going? Now, all these things, when I say these commands from Scripture, that's what they are. It's not built in legalism. I try harder to do this. It's built in by the grace of God. I love God so much. I want to pursue God as he has pursued me. But the point is I'm trying to make, Jonah ran from his calling. So many times we do the same. Why? Because we want to follow our sin. We don't want to follow in the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He ran from his calling. We cannot run from ours. Now, now remember, okay, I want this to be a wonderful grace moment. I'm not afraid of telling you uh, commands of truth, but I want you to see God pursues you to love you, to use you. So if we have run from our calling as a husband, even now God pursues you and says, come on back, come on back, man. And he hugs you and embraces you and says, okay, come on, here's my grace, here's my strength, here's my love, here's my forgiveness, here's my joy. Now go, go love your wife. Go love your wife. I, I won't let you go. I won't let you go, okay? Maybe too many hours at work. Maybe too much money being spent on your stuff. Maybe too much sin of lust was happening there. All this stuff got to go, Jesus says. Come on now. I died for all those things. You're forgiven. You're clean. You're pure now. Come on now in the gospel. Come by my grace. Be strengthened and pursue your calling for life. See, it's grace and truth. And that's what God uses but Jonah ran from his calling. Notice this thirdly too. He ran at a great cost. If I run from God's presence, be guaranteed I will run with a great cost. Look at the second half of verse 3. It says, He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, first of all, notice where Jonah went in verse 3. He went to Joppa. The Bible says he went down to Joppa. When we run from God, okay, we are always going down, always, down, down, down. Interestingly, Jonah went down to Joppa. It also says he went down into the ship. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but I saw enough commentaries bring this up, which is a really, really good point. Here is, is good. when we flee from God, we are not making our lives better. We are making our lives worse. It is always going downhill. You flee from God, loved ones, listen, we're going down, all right? We're going down in a hurry. We think we're going up, but we're not. We're going down. Jonah thought he was making progress, but in reality, he was regressing. Can you look at periods of your life where that was the case, where you say, I've convinced myself I'm advancing in life as I run away from God, but in reality, if you stop long enough, you know without God I'm tanking. That's always the way it will be, always the way, no exceptions when we run from god we are running from peace from joy from life from blessing itself every time you're here today when you run from god and his will for your life my life we are running from joy from peace from blessing from him from protection 
Notice in verse 3, it says, So he paid the fare and went on board. Now notice here as well, everything seemingly was going great, right? For Jonah, imagine, he arrived in Joppa, he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and there happens to be a ship there going to Tarshish of all places. He's like, great, I got the money, I can pick it up, I can pay right now. I mean, he must say, man, if God didn't want me to go, the ship would not be there. I wouldn't have the money to pay for. This is all going great. He gets on board, he falls asleep. I mean, he's just, he's at peace. He's in the will of God, right? Wrong. Let us, let us be very, very careful when we try to justify our path by our own interpretation of circumstances, loved ones, William Banks said this, when a person decides to run from the Lord, Satan always provides complete transportation facilities. Whenever a person is trying to run from God, Satan will do his utmost to get the ship there, to get the money in your pocket, to pay the fare that you might flee from where God has you to be. Be also very careful of this, loved ones, when you try to claim God's sovereignty by your own interpretation of events. Be very, I see it all the time, people rationalizing financial decisions just to, just to create in their own mind and appease their own guilt. Oh, God's in this. Trying to rationalize decisions of relationships that are contrary to God's word to say, he'll understand, no, no, we can live together before we're married, we can have sex before we're married, we can do this before whatever, whatever it is. You, you, you attempt to claim God's sovereignty by your own understanding of what you think is God's will. Don't do that. Jonah did that. There's the boat, there's my fare, fell asleep, all good, man, it's all good. God must be in this. He can't be that upset with me. But of course, he was exactly against God's will in the moment that he might have thought he was doing the right thing. Notice too within Jonah, impulsive, quick decisions, no signs of prayer anywhere. See that? Imagine Jonah, he's like, he's like living, and all of a sudden he picks up and he goes, and he just leaves. Jonah, where are you going? Oh, I'm going on a job. What are you doing there? I'm going to go to Tarshish. <laughs> like, you're going, what, what are you doing? What, living here, you're going to, why are you doing that? And just like, wow. Well, and just, just all of a sudden, uprooted, gone. You know, people in your lives like that, they're just living this life, and all of a sudden, hey, where did Joe go? Hey, where did Sue go? And they're just like, uprooted, impulsive, quick, uh, just totally irrational decisions, no prayer, no asking God, fleeing from the Lord gets on board, falls asleep, seemingly all good, all bad. Notice this, he, he paid the fare. Our understanding here is running from God always comes at a cost. It always comes at a cost. Here's what Donald Gray Barnhouse said about this. This is great. He says, when you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you're going, and you always pay your own fare. But when you go to, to the Lord's way, you always get to where you're going, and he always pays the fare. Think about that. Think about that. You run from God. You never get there, ultimately, and you always pay. You go God's way. You get there. He pays. That's the grace of God. That's the way it works. So Jonah ran from conviction. He ran here, we understand, with a great cost. He, he ran in vain. It's the, it's the last one. He ran right there in vain. So notice how verse 3 ends. It says, away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord. I just want you to see this. Whenever we run from God, we think we're going to win. We will never win. We will always lose. Because we run from God, we're running towards sin. And running towards sin, we run towards that which confuses us, entangles us, wrecks us, destroys us, depresses us, 
Hence, any running from God is running in vain. And Jonah's about to find that out in a hurry. Notice again, verse 3 starts with, but Jonah. And look at verse 4. It starts with, but the Lord. Okay? Jonah has, has had his turn, and now God's about to have his turn. God will not sit still. Why? Because God loves Jonah too much to let him go. I love that. But Jonah, then verse 4, but the Lord. Loved ones, God loves you too much to let you and I go as well. So you say, well, what did God do? God started to move. And you say, well, what happens next? Well, that's why you have to come back next week and find out. All right? And that's why God's word is so great. Let's, let's pray. Let me pray for us right now. Father, I want to appeal to anyone here today by your grace and the Holy Spirit, anyone running from God. That doesn't just mean you're an unbeliever who's never embraced Christ. That could absolutely mean Jonah believed in God. Yet here he was, running from obedience, running from grace, running from love. For sure there are people here today where that's you. You've been running away in sin. You've been running from what you know God has, running from family, running from love, running from God. But see today as God reaching out to you and saying, my child, by the grace of Jesus Christ, by the grace of Jesus Christ, he says, return. Return. Listen, he'll catch you. He will. He'll catch you. And he'll love you. You might as well just give up. We might as well just give up now. There's no, there's no point in fighting. Because he will win. So we might as well allow ourselves to be broken. Maybe there's someone here today in the gospel of Jesus. You've never fully embraced Christ as Savior. You've known about Jesus, but you've never repented of sins. You've never turned by faith for the forgiveness of your... You can do that today. You say, Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Forgive me. I need your love, Lord. I've run from you from too long. I stop now. I turn. I fall on my knees. I repent of my sin. I believe you died for me. Please wash me in your grace. Set me free. Set your love upon me, O God. I need you. I'm done running. I stop. You win, God. I love you. Grant me eternal life. May the grace flood over me. Oh, Lord, I want to be in the place where I understand you never let me go ever. I can run, but I can't hide. And God catches me, loves me, holds me, and will never let go of me. Despite the storms, despite the difficulties of life, he is there. In Jesus' name, amen.